Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with the reckless homicide of Joseph Rosenbaum, the intentional homicide of Anthony Huber, and the attempted intentional homicide of Gage Grosskreutz. As Rittenhouse was the undisputed shooter of all three men, his legal team argued that the shootings were in self-defense. In our last episode, we looked at the first portion of the November 1st, 2021 jury selection hearing for the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse, examining the questioning by Judge Bruce Schrader and Prosecutor Thomas Binger. In today's episode, we will focus on defense attorney Corey Sharafasi's strategy and tactics in his voir dire questioning of prospective jurors. We will also offer an overview of Judge Schrader's initial instructions to the 20 impaneled jurors the following day. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In our last episode, we remarked on the rather limited voir dire questioning by prosecutor Thomas Binger. When Binger completes his voir dire, he turns the panel over to one of Rittenhouse's defense attorneys, Corey Sharafasi. Sharafasi uses his voir dire both to screen for bias and to lay the groundwork for the defense arguments in the case. Mr. Binger had said, you know, he had asked if anybody has a problem with people protesting, and obviously no one had raised their hands. Is there anybody here who believes that it's okay to damage property as a form of protesting. Anybody think that's okay? I see no hands. Did any member of the panel, I know no one said they were down there on I think the evening of the 24th. Did anybody go down and try to help clean up and see kind of the aftermath the next morning of into the morning of the 25th? Anybody do that? Again, no hands were raised. Is there anyone here, you have heard the judge has told you that some of the charges involve possession of a firearm. Um, I think uh, Mr. Binger had asked you if you understand the workings of a firearm. My question is this, is there anyone who, knowing what you know about, or your feelings about that night, is there anyone who believes that, irrespective of what the evidence would be, that if a person brought a firearm downtown, they're guilty of something. Does anybody believe that? I see no hands. Again, the voir dire process marks the beginning of each side's effort to establish the dominant narrative in the minds of the jurors. Sharafasi is beginning to tell the jurors Kyle Rittenhouse's side of the story, while also using that story to weed out unsympathetic individuals. Firearm in this case, I think it'll be referred to as an AR-15. It's an MP-15, but it's referred to that. Does any, is anybody so bothered by that type of firearm that they don't think that they could listen to the facts of the case and judge it fairly? Anybody have such a problem? Okay. Um, I want to make sure I have it right. I'm not going to have it right. Um, juror number 30. Okay. Oh, yes, I do have a problem with it. Okay. Can you, uh, 
I don't want this to sound like a dumb question, but can you just tell me your feelings on it? I don't think a weapon like that should belong to the general public. Okay. Shirafasi moves to strike juror number 30 for cause. The prosecution asks the panelists if her statements mean that she would find Rittenhouse guilty simply if it is proven that he possessed a semi-automatic weapon. Pretty much, she answers, and she is excused for cause without objection. Shirafasi then digs deeper into the potential jurors' feelings about guns. You know, there are certain things that just are a non-starter for people, where they don't want to hear the evidence, they don't want to listen to it. Is there anybody here who feels that way about firearms, that they just would be unwilling to listen to the facts of the case? I see no hands. You sure can. Uh, juror number 31. Earlier you had asked about the type of gun that it was and how comfortable you were with that type of gun. In my opinion, the only type of gun that I would have classified that is a machine gun. And I raised my hand, but we got disturbed by something. So that being said, I just wanted it noted that, no, I don't believe a machine gun should be in anyone's hands. So I don't know a whole lot about firearms. Can you tell me what your definition of uh, a machine gun is? Machine gun that is able to shoot multiple rounds. When you say that by like, you just hold the trigger down and then bullets just keep coming? I'm not sure. Okay. But I don't think that type of gun is necessary for the public. Well, you're going to, this case is going to involve a gun that you may be, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but your feelings on it, okay? So I, th- I don't think I'm going to okay. sugarcoat this. You You're going to hear that that gun is out and about in Kenosha. How, how would... And it shouldn't be. Okay. With that belief, do you think you can still listen to the case and judge it fairly? Or are you bothered enough by your feelings about the type of firearm that you would be unwilling to set that aside? I appreciate you being honest about it. I think everybody does. So, I would try my best to try to be very neutral about it. So the judge has asked, you know, do you think somebody can do a better job than you sitting in your chair? He wants to be in this chair. I'll tell you that. Judge Schrader interjects with an explanation on the difference between an automatic weapon, which is illegal to possess in Wisconsin, and a semi-automatic weapon, which, if you are over 18, is legal to possess there. Shirafasi then revisits a comment made by juror number 31. Nobody wants to be sitting in that chair. Absolutely. Ask any of us. Okay, well, I might. What, um... What about, is it the anxiety of potentially being on a case like this? Is it just... It's scary. The last case I was on, it was a former patient of mine that was murdered. You're scared to go to your car. You're scared to go home. I live very close to Antioch, where he is from. When we thought the riots were going out, yes, it's so scary. I live so close to where he's from. Juror number 31 appears to tap into a common concern among the potential jurors. Sensing this, Shirafasi tries to elicit more information from the group about their concerns. And I'm not looking to point fingers, but I think juror number 46 in seat 17, there was questions about uh, fear of sitting in those seats or anxiety about sitting in those seats. And I know you didn't raise your hand, but your body language was telling me that you were not thrilled about this. So is that true? Yeah. 
Um, can you tell me uh, what everybody's interested in is, and I understand there's anxiety probably for everyone. Um, is it something that you can... Oh, well, just the other day, I was driving down 16, and they're already born in some, which freaked me out. Like, come on. So, yeah, I'm worried about the, the safety. And I, I, I even didn't need to drive my car here today. I took a lift because I don't want anybody seeing my car. <laughs> so I'm just kind of freaked out about that, yes. Okay. Um, would it impact your ability to render the verdict that you thought was correct? Oh, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Okay. Anyone else that have concerns about being on the panel in terms of safety or, I'm sorry, uh, 34. 34. So I really want to serve on jury. I really do not want to serve on this jury. I only want to serve on a jury where the people involved directly have an opinion. I figure either way this goes, you're going to have half the country upset with you, and they re- react poorly. I also drove somebody else's car here, and while it wouldn't, you know, it is my duty, and you're a guilt tripper up there on the bench, and so I, and I'm a big Hamilton fan, and you keep mentioning the founding fathers, but it's scary because you don't know how people are going to react, and I watch too much TV. And so, of course, you worry. I want to know who's going to have the list of jurors. I'm grateful that you mentioned that we're not photographed. Not only would I not have control over my good side, but I don't want it to be known. I don't want people to know that I'm on a jury or, I mean, if I'm on a jury, I wouldn't want them to know and I wouldn't want them to have my list of my name or my address. I don't want people standing outside of my house you know, it's scary when you think all of a sudden, and it's on the news all over the country. It's not just Kenosha County. So, I mean, it is scary. And I would be very interested to hear how the jury is protected. At this moment, Judge Schrader steps in seeking to reassure the potential panelists. Uh, I can tell you one of the things I'll tell whoever selected on this case, whatever their verdict is, verdicts are. I will talk about the, the, the you're never you're never obliged to talk with anybody about anybody about the case, but you're welcome to talk about it as little or as much as you want. I tell them that if anyone bothers them, that they should let me know and we'll put a stop to it. And you know what? In 50 years of trying cases and I well, I tried cases as a lawyer and now in 38 years as judge, I've never had a juror threatened. I've never had a juror bothered in any way. I have not been bothered, and I don't have uh, uh, any special arrangements either. Um, I uh, and I uh, am involved differently, obviously, in the jury. But uh, uh, as you'll find later, if 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 there's a verdict of guilt returned in a criminal trial, then I'm in the sentencing business, and um, I. I I think that the, 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 the fear that people have is greater than the reality of risk. I'm not going to say it could never happen. By the way, when was the last time you read about a juror being harmed? Well, I watched a movie the other day. <laughs> <time. laughs> 
By the end of this one very long day of November 1st, 2021, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse has its jury. In the context of the other trials that we have covered here on jury duty, that is exceptionally fast. Jury selection in both the trials of Robert Durst and the men who killed Ahmaud Arbery lasted at least two weeks. Michael Cicchini, a 20-year veteran of the Kenosha Criminal Courts, told Insider.com that this kind of speed is typical for Kenosha and for Judge Schrader in particular. Cicchini told the website's reporter, I'm not very impressed with these longer jury selections as a way to really uncover juror biases. We'll be sure to discuss all of this in our Friday recap episode. The jury selected for Kyle Rittenhouse's murder trial consists of 20 people. 12 jurors and 8 alternates, 11 women and 9 men. Before ending the hearing, Judge Schrader indicates that he will decide at the end of the trial which 12 of these 20 jurors will move on to deliberate the verdict. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the cases that we have previously covered on jury duty, the murder trials of Robert Durst and the men who killed Ahmaud Arbery, the judge's initial instructions to the jury prior to the beginning of the trial were fairly brief and mostly limited to explanations of process. However, unlike judges Mark Wyndham and Timothy Walmsley, Judge Bruce Schrader begins the proceedings on November 2, 2021 with a lengthy and detailed assessment of the charges against Rittenhouse. Over the rest of this podcast, we are going to offer a brief overview of these instructions and try to assess any subtext to Judge Schrader's statements. In episode one of this podcast series, we laid out the charges against Kyle Rittenhouse. We're going to represent them here, along with brief excerpts from Schrader's comments about each count. Count one, first degree reckless homicide related to the killing of Joseph Rosenbaum. First-degree reckless homicide, as defined in the criminal code, is committed by one who recklessly causes the death of another human being under circumstances that show utter disregard for human life. We will offer a more detailed examination of this and the subsequent charges later in this series. For now, we move on to counts two and three. First-degree recklessly endangering safety related to two other men. The second and third counts of the information, respectively, charge that at the same time and place, the defendant recklessly endangered the safety of Richard McGinnis under circumstances which show utter disregard for human life. And the third count charges an identical crime involving an unknown male. Uh, and to each of these charges as well, the defendant has pleaded not guilty. Reckless endangerment of the first degree as charged in, in these counts is committed by one who recklessly endangers the safety of another human being under circumstances which show utter disregard for human life. Count four, first degree intentional homicide related to the death of Anthony Huber. The fourth count of the information charges that, the, that at the same time and place, the defendant intentionally caused the death of Anthony M. Huber with intent to kill him. First degree reckless homicide as defined in the criminal code is committed by one who causes the death of another human being 
with intent to kill that person or another. Count five, attempted first degree intentional homicide related to the shooting of Gage Grosskreutz in the arm. The fifth count of the information charges at the, at the same time and place at the city of Kenosha in this county. The defendant attempted to cause the death of Gage P. Grosskreutz with intent to kill that person. This is a charge of attempted intentional homicide of the first degree. The crime of attempted intentional homicide of the first degree, as defined in the criminal code, is committed by one who, with the intent to commit first degree intentional homicide, does acts towards the commission of that crime, which dem demonstrate unequivocally, under all of the circumstances, that he had formed the, uh, the intent and would have committed that crime, except for the intervention of some other person or some other extraneous factor. Count six, possession of a dangerous weapon by a person under 18. Basically, the sixth count deals with the circumstances under which it is lawful for a person who is under the age of 18 to have a firearm in his possession. Count seven, failure to comply with an emergency order from the city of Kenosha related to Rittenhouse being out on the streets after an 8 p.m. curfew imposed by the city. And the seventh count deals with special circumstances in which uh, uh, emergency management uh, edicts are issued and uh, the requirements which are imposed for obedience to those edicts. Judge Schrader follows his rundown of the charges against Kyle Rittenhouse with explanations of some of the nuances in the law. We will dive into many of these nuances as we develop a deeper understanding of the evidence in the case and the lawyer's arguments for the legal significance of that evidence. In closing his instructions, Judge Schrader stops reading and addresses the jury directly. He reminds them that the defendant is considered innocent until proven guilty and that they, as jurors, must examine the evidence carefully and objectively when making a determination. He finishes his instructions by breaking down the term reasonable doubt, suggesting that whatever verdict they come to, they must use the evidence alone to guide them to the truth. In reaching your verdict, examine the evidence with the utmost care and caution. Act with judgment, reason, and prudence. The defendant is not required to prove his innocence. The law presumes every person charged with the commission of a crime to be innocent, and this presumption requires a finding of not guilty, unless in your deliberations you find that it is overcome by evidence, which satisfies you beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty. The burden of establishing every fact necessary to constitute guilt is upon the state. Before you may return a verdict of guilty, the evidence must satisfy you beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant is guilty. If you can reconcile the evidence upon any reasonable hypothesis consistent with the innocence of the defendant, then you must do so and find him not guilty. The term reasonable doubt means a doubt based upon reason and common sense. It is a doubt for which a reason can be given, arising from a fair and rational consideration of the evidence or want of evidence. It means such a doubt as would cause a person of ordinary prudence to pause or hesitate when called upon to act in the most important affairs of life. A reasonable doubt is not a doubt which is based upon mere guesswork or speculation, a doubt which arises merely from sympathy or from fear to return a verdict of guilt is not a reasonable doubt. A reasonable doubt is not a doubt such as may be used to escape the responsibility of a decision. Examine the evidence and search for the truth, giving the defendant the benefit of every reasonable doubt. 
That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Join us next time for the second of our weekly recap episodes, where I'll be joined by Kenosha-based trial lawyer Michael Cicchini. Cicchini has been routinely recognized by his peers as one of Wisconsin's best criminal defense attorneys, and in 2020, he received the William M. Coffey Defender Award from the Wisconsin Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers for his significant contributions to professionalism in the criminal practice. Michael, who has tried dozens of cases in the Kenosha courts, including many before Judge Schrader, will offer us his unique insight into the participants and the events of the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. This episode was written by Dewana Spate. It was co-produced by Chris Taracone and Aaron Korenik. And it was edited by Chris Taracone. Our consulting producer is Brittany Bookbinder. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. And trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Kyle Rittenhouse.